Next on ReachMD, Voices from American Medicine, featuring perspectives, challenges, and triumphs from medical professionals on the front lines of healthcare. Now here's the host of Voices from American Medicine, Frank Russomano. When political considerations trump basic medical strategies proven effective over centuries, the danger can be grave. That's a passage taken from a recent article called The Deadly Politicization of Ebola, written by Dr. Richard Ammerling, who is our guest today. Dr. Ammerling is president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. He is associate professor of clinical medicine and a renowned academic nephrologist at the Beth Israel Medical Center in New York City. Dr. Ammerling, welcome to the program today. Thank you so much. It's great to have you. I, I wanted to start our conversation by asking you why you wrote the article. What, what, what was your intention here? Well, I'm not an expert on Ebola, although I've certainly been reading up on it over the last couple of months. I'm a nephrologist and, as such, could possibly be involved in taking care of patients with Ebola with acute kidney failure. And more importantly, my nurses are going to be involved in taking care of these patients, and I don't want them exposed to this disease unnecessarily. And it is unnecessary if we can block people who are potentially exposed from coming into the country to get treatment. So that's the major reason for me speaking out on it. I also don't like that the administration is trying to cloak themselves in science when science is actually against them. Science would say that you contain an epidemic, you don't allow it to spread outside of the community where it it exists, but they're saying just the opposite. They're saying that to block the travel of people from that part of the country is going to somehow make it worse. It's not true. We've heard some of the, uh, the press coming out of the administration. Can you tell us a little bit more about the politics that surround the Ebola issue and why those issues are important? Well, trying to figure out why they have taken this stand, there are several options. I mean, Holman Jenkins wrote in the Wall Street Journal uh, a few weeks ago that Obama perhaps wants to be seen as a hero in Africa. Now, he could do that much better by doing a good job trying to contain it over there and helping as best we can to do that. Uh, There's also the issue of the border. I think that he is invested at this point in not closing the border, and if he blocks entry into this country from that part of the world uh, at airports, let's say, then people are going to say, well, what about the southern border? Can't people just go to Mexico and walk across? And that's a very good question, because from my understanding, they can. Uh, the border is not being uh, patrolled heavily. It's, it's pretty porous. So that is a, a significant question that I don't think he wants to get into. That makes sense. So we've seen a few other countries implement a quarantine, uh, like Nigeria and Australia. Have those quarantines been effective for them? Absolutely. Nigeria had a little outbreak uh, when this uh, infected guy, Patrick Sawyer, I think his name was, flew into uh, Lagos. And he apparently collapsed right there in the airport. So they got on him right away. And he didn't get very far, but he still started a mini epidemic. Uh, I think maybe uh, 20 or so people infected, maybe seven or eight people actually died. Which is, So that's bad enough. But they were able to contain it, and they've now been declared Ebola-free. And part of their containment strategy was blocking travel from affected countries. Right. You, you mentioned in the article that you had some concerns about uh, and you actually forecasted before it happened about the United States airlifting uh, Ebola patients into the country for treatment. Can can you talk a little bit about your concerns there? Right. Well, I, I mean, I didn't forecast it. I heard that this was a possibility by the uh, State Department. Why would you do that? I mean, we've already brought in some 
people, our own citizens, and then a couple of doctors have been brought in. Every one of them poses a major risk of exposure to the people who are involved, number one, in transporting them, and number two, in treating them. I think we've been extraordinarily lucky so far. I was able to attend a, me a meeting down in Philadelphia where uh, some of the doctors who were involved in taking care of one of the patients at Emory got to speak, and it's very impressive what they did. They pulled this guy through. They even dialyzed him, which they do not do, by the way, over in West Africa. If you get kidney failure from Ebola in West Africa, you're going to die. They don't dialyze you, nor do they intubate you over there. We do both over here. And I guess based on our limited experience now, that's going to become the standard of care. And it was very interesting to see what they actually had to go through to take care of these patients. Uh, and, but that alone convinces me that we need to do everything we can to try to keep people with this disease out of the country. One patient is a tremendous burden on a hospital. You can imagine that three or four or ten patients would more or less completely uh, immobilize a hospital, make it impossible for them to fulfill their mission of taking care of other sick patients. So it's a huge burden. It's extremely expensive. Uh, there is risk to the healthcare personnel. There's just no question about it. Most of the doctors and nurses over in West Africa who have caught the disease, a lot of them have died. And it's not as though they're being sloppy or bathing themselves in these secretions of these patients. It's just that the nature of the disease is such that one small breach in protocol and you could get infected. One of the questions I have for you is, is certainly it's in good spirit to try to help these patients. What are the alternatives in being able to contribute to the care for these patients if we're not bringing them into the United States? Well, one of the things I mentioned in the article is the potential of plasma therapy. The way Ebola works medically is that it attacks the macrophages and dendritic cells and takes them out so that they're unable to fulfill their mission of presenting the virus for antibody production. So antibody production is delayed, and the virus runs rampant for days or weeks before there's any kind of a significant antibody response. So if you were able to give these patients convalescent plasma I think you give them a much better chance. And interestingly, everybody who survived in this country who's been treated has gotten convalescent plasma. Now, they've gotten other things as well, so it's hard to pinpoint what made the difference. But my bet is on the, ant the antibodies in the convalescent plasma. So what do we need to do? Well, <clears throat> we need to bring over to West Africa adequate plasmapheresis equipment and infrastructure and a few people who know what they're doing and start harvesting plasma from the thousands of Ebola survivors over in West Africa. And we can freeze the plasma and have it on hand to administer as first-line therapy to any new cases that come in. That's interesting. So we can contribute to the cause of helping these patients, but we don't have to do it on our own soil. And it seems like we're already leading the charge in uh, defining a new way of treating these patients. That's right. And it makes much more sense to help galvanize their defenses over there and reinforce what they're doing because they have the experience. We don't have the experience. We have the technology. We have the money, but we don't have the experience. They do. So we should be learning from them how to handle the disease, but learn how to handle it over there instead of bringing it into this country with all the risk involved. That makes sense. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Voices from American Medicine. I'm Frank Russomano, and I'm joined by Dr. Richard Ammerling from the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. We're talking about his recent article titled The Deadly Politicization of Ebola. 
Let me shift gears a, a little bit. In, in the article, you drew some analogies to the AIDS epidemic in the late 80s and early 90s to the Ebola disease. Can you talk a little bit about how you connect these two? Sure. I mean, it's not politically correct, I guess, but I'm, uh, I witnessed the first few cases when I was an intern working at Bellevue for a month. And these were extremely sick men who came in with one infection after another. We would treat them, send them out, and they were back in within a few days or weeks. And it became obvious from the very beginning that this was a sexually transmitted disease and also, of course, intravenous drug use, blood infection, uh, and was affecting mostly drug users and homosexual men. Well, because of the link with homosexuality, which was much more taboo back then than it is now, that's for sure. The attitudes were very different in the early 80s than they are now. There was a stigma about the disease that led to impaired standard infection control procedures, such as mandatory reporting of cases, such as contact tracing or even quarantine. And when the HIV antibody, when the HIV was, of course, identified and the antibody test devised, that test was limited. It was not given out routinely to anybody, let's say, who walked into the hospital the way they used to do the VDRL test. No, you had to get the patient's permission to run the test, and they had to receive counseling before you could do the test. So this made it less available. Fewer people were tested, and I think it gave the epidemic a chance to spread. And again, it was politics interfering with what would have been good medical practice, good infection control practice that I think led to a worsened epidemic than should have been. Understandably, you mentioned politics. The president uh, has appointed an Ebola czar, Ron Klain. Can you talk a little bit about your your perspective on, on what the government is doing? Should that role have been fulfilled by a medical professional, and what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it was a purely political gesture, and that's why they chose a political operative as opposed to a medical person. So I don't think a, you need to have a, a czar. You, I think you need to have good medical practice. They've co-opted the CDC, unfortunately, which used to be a very good organization. The CDC is now more involved in politics than medicine, in my view, and they went along with this party line of uh, not blocking travel. And it looked painful to me to to watch Tom Frieden have to say this in public over and over again, because it looked to me like he himself didn't believe it. How could you, as a physician, really buy into this, that somehow blocking travel from an infected region of the world is going to make it worse for them and for us? It's absolutely nonsensical. Right. Yeah, I think uh, uh, your opinion is shared by many, and, and, uh, and it was a surprise to many. And and I appreciate your, your thoughts on that. Um, is there anything else you'd like to, to share with our listeners uh, before we break? Well, the American people are full of common sense. They are not scared, and they're not in a panic mode. What people got upset about was this lack of good information coming from officials in Washington, notably the CDC and the president and his people. With honesty and transparency, there is no fear. Tell us what the story is. Don't sugarcoat it. For weeks, if not months, they were putting out ridiculous stories and and saying things like it was easy to treat this in any hospital. You just need a private room, things like that. They had no clue. Uh, And that's why people got concerned. It was not 
the disease itself, although the disease is pretty scary, the chances of any individual contracting it in this country are still extraordinarily low, and I think people are aware of that. But it's the bad way that this was handled and the fact that they're still allowing cases to come into the country that get that people are upset about. Yeah, that's interesting. Are, are you optimistic that uh, that we'll see an end to, uh, to outbreaks in the United States uh, anytime soon? Uh, I am, and I think that things are, are starting to come under control a little bit over in West Africa. I think if they ramp up the plasma exchange program, as I suggest, things could go a lot better and a lot faster. And I think that there is that the screening that is being done is stopping some people from getting in. I mean, it's not like they're doing nothing. But uh, there may be cases here and there that pop up. I don't think that any of those cases is going to lead to a big outbreak. But once again, one or two cases in a hospital is already enough of a problem. I mean, we shouldn't have to deal with that. We actually have, at our dialysis unit, we have taken a nurse full-time sitting outside the unit having patients answer a questionnaire about travel, et cetera, and fever. This is a complete and utter waste of money. And hospitals all around the country have geared up. They've gotten protective equipment. They're having to go through training. All for what? Because we're allowing people who are potentially infected to come into this country. Uh, All of this expense, which is going to run into billions of dollars ultimately, is unnecessary. So these resources wouldn't need to be devoted to this situation if we were committed to making sure that Ebola patients didn't make their way across the borders? Exactly right. Well, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Richard Ammerling, for joining me today and sharing his perspectives on the national response to the Ebola outbreak. Again, great to have you with us, Dr. Ammerling. Well, my pleasure. Anytime. You've been listening to Voices from American Medicine, featuring perspectives, challenges, and triumphs from medical professionals on the front lines of healthcare. Voices from American Medicine is hosted by Frank Russomano. And to access this program and others in the series, please visit us at reachmd.com forward slash voices.